Jesus. That's right. Go ahead, church. You can't praise him enough. I'm going to go ahead and tell you he's worthy. Praise the Lord. If you have a seat, we're going to, we're going to do this. We are blessed this morning. One of the things I love during this season, a lot of our missionaries come in and we get to, to celebrate with them and get to walk and, and bless them and let them bless us as well. Uh, but this morning, uh, one of my dear friends, I don't know, for about 30 years as a young man, just starting out, just learning to love Jesus and just allowing him to love on me. I showed up, uh, uh, one of my mentors in the faith, Billy Godwin, had a mission trip that was going to Quito, Ecuador. And I couldn't even spell Quito <laughs> so, <laughs> or Ecuador. And I was like, hey, I want to go. Let's go. And I ended up over there and I met this incredible couple uh, that they had a school at that time called Cristo al Mundo and uh, Christ of the World. And and that began a relationship that is still uh, thriving today. And um, they're going to share this morning. I'm going to ask John and Judy Whitener if you'll come up with me at this time. Y'all give a wonderful Christian Knoll Church welcome to them. If you don't know them, you will before this morning. I, I encourage you that God is so good in what he's doing in them. And I'm going to turn it over to you guys and let y'all turn it. She's good. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to go ahead and let, I'm going to put the best up for her. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. And it is so always wonderful to come back to Brunswick. Although most of you do not know, we consider this home. Even though we never lived here. This is our spiritual home, which goes back to our, our pastors, Brother Bill and, and Dorothy Jean, still have all these years considered them our pastors. And uh, that speaks a lot for them, that someone for so many years would still go, well, if I have a, if I need to talk to God in flesh, I'll run that away. <laughs> And, and talk to them. But anyway, we are glad to see you, glad to be here, thrilled. I'm so excited about 2020. Something's coming. Something is cooking, and I just kind of feel it. And I am so glad I'm alive today. We are here because God planned it. Is that not the truth? We could have been born when, when everybody was cowboys. And there was no permanent press. And who, how in the world did they iron all them dresses and all, you know, without permanent press? But we live today because he said, this is the time I have saved the, his, his way of doing things, saving the best for last. And now here you are. Are you not the best reserved for these days? And, and you have believed for years you were just a, a bunch of junk leftovers that God can't use and here you are now that's a lie that the the devil has made a lot of people to believe but anyway good stuff is cooking and I could uh, take all of John's good preaching time but he has a word from the Lord but I just want to say one more thank you in 2008 God moved on the heart of someone to have a Wellspring seminar here. Why do I cry? And a precious friend, Linda Ring, sent me CDs of teachings of Gilbert Posey. Transformed my life. 
And God introduced me to an instrument that as I have made it a lifestyle of forgiven living, that I have found a way for the bride of Christ and my little portion, the little speck here, this bride of Christ, to walk towards that goal of living without spot or wrinkle so that when he comes, I won't be ashamed. I won't be, have all, have the garbage that had made me sick and given me fibromyalgia because I had not forgiven and then I was healed as I did forgive. And that was in 2008. In 2010, John and I were named the, uh, as to be the directors of Wellspring Ministries in Latin America or Mexico. We, we are directors of uh, Wellspring, Mexico. And the Father has given us the opportunity to establish Wellspring in Ecuador, in Cuba. And we're in March, we will be establishing it in Honduras. <clears throat> All because, and it goes right back to here. Somebody said it'd be a good idea for us to have a Wellspring seminar. And it might be a good idea to do it again, you know? (laughs) So God has given us the privilege to see people transformed, their lives changed. We now, uh, this year will be number eight that we replicate for a week the course they do for two weeks in Alaska to train one to in turn train others in the the material of Wellspring. And we do it in Mexico. The 31st of July to the 7th of August is only one week. You can come down. Our classes are all bilingual. And you will be trained, transformed. Uh, it's just like taking... An enema, spiritual enema, if you want to know the truth of it. And we need that frequently. That's just for good health, isn't it? Changing you from the inside out. God is being is so good to give us that chance. And, and um, I left a little piece of paper. There's a scripture I felt in my heart this morning. And I will shut up because I feel his eyes on my back. <laughs> Boring in. But he does have a word from the Lord. In, in Psalms 34, says, how long, oh God, are you going to keep doing nothing? And I thought, what an accusation. And can I give you the exact verse? This, this is for somebody. I just felt like somebody was disappointed. Their heart, their heart is dragging or somebody's dragging here. I'm sorry, it's Psalms 35, 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? You've been just looking on my life and doing nothing. He is not. God's inactivity, any act, inactivity is never nothing. It never is. In 2 Peter 3, 9, and here it is. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. And I want to, I feel like 2020 is a time when we will be coming into those things we have held on for decades. 
Those promises we have declared and we have just, our declarer has got wore out. And we are just plum tired. And I tell you, I think some of these empty seats are, are, are of, of people who just got wore out of hanging on and of pressing in. But, but he is not slow. He is patient. He is waiting for us to repent. If God had, had, if Jesus had come like so many have prayed, oh, well, come on, get me out of this, God. Just come back. I want to go to heaven. So many of us would not be saved today. He, he has been patient. Thank the Lord he is. But, and thank you for having us as your missionaries and loving us for all these years and not, and we're just a, a name on a little photo stuck up on a wall somewhere, but just let you know, God is good everywhere and he's good in Mexico and he's going to keep his promises. He's been keeping them to us in Mexico. We are just awed by some of the things that have been recently uh, come about. He is not slow. He is patient. Don't We can't accuse him of being slow. We have a loving, patient God. So y'all be blessed. Have a wonderful year. And you get your uh, declarer up. And you keep you get that promise you used to have in your mouth. That it, it once was in your heart and mouth. Now get it back up there and start declaring it. Because he is not doing nothing. He's working hard beside, behind the scenes just for you. morning. Before I get started, I want to just say how much I really appreciate Edith and Bert Swartz being here visiting us, some friends from a long time ago. Thank you for coming. And I want to introduce to you a friend that worked with us in Mexico for a number of years, Hugh Fannin. Hugh, would you stand please? That's a man of God there. That's a man of God. He came back about a little bit over a year ago and lives in St. Augustine and he uh, he's severely and sorely missed in Mexico. Everybody loves him. I've driven, I've driven a long way to be here this morning, and what I have to share with you this morning is not something that I just got off the Internet yesterday. It's something that has simmered in me for at least two months. You go through this life in Christ if you're, where you're going through transitions, And that's what this journey is all about, this constant changing and changing. And so what I want to share with you today may go beyond your time limit. So I ask for your permission beforehand. uh, I'm thrilled here to to be here. I wish I had the time to tell you what's happening in Cuba, what's happening with the Institute New things are happening in 2020 after so many years of being vagabonds and renting a place. It looks like this year we may have our own campus. Yeah. Yeah. So we're thrilled about that. But I want to begin, and before, I, before we get into the Word, I'd like to just pray a minute. Can we do that? 
Let's pray. Father, these men and women come from all walks of life, backgrounds. We come here, Lord, with one thing in common, and that is the supremacy of your Son, Jesus Christ. In the day and time, Lord, where the world and the postmodern church makes Jesus a footnote, we want to esteem you, Lord, and exalt you and place you at the top of the list where you rightfully belong. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do something that is beyond the natural, and that is take words that are spoken by man but birthed by the Holy Spirit and send them like arrows into our hearts, Lord, to change us, to make us people of an other world as we walk in Brunswick. Come, Lord, help your servant. Cleanse us from everything that brings displeasure to you. And we'll give you all the glory and all the, the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark was talking about our time in Ecuador several years ago. We, we lived in Ecuador for about four years, and we were part of a team and, uh, that had a Bible institute called Cristo al Mundo, Christ of the World. And I can remember distinctly one night we had a, a, meeting, a team meeting and we were going around. And these guys, listen, these guys were, were top drawer quality missionaries. These, these were men of proven character and had been forged in steel and were filled with zeal. And, and I was just, me. And uh, I remember we went around in the circle and, and uh, one of the guys said, what really grabs your heart? What is the one thing that really grabs you in the ministry? And as we went around the circle, one said, you know, what really grabs me is missions and, uh, and, the, and the call to reach the unreached. Another man, I remember, said his, his desire was discipleship, where, where making men and women of disciples who followed Christ, that was his thing. Another one had as his emphasis, um, living to give, living to receive and to give. And others were, uh, their emphasis was the supernatural and miracles. And they came to me and I, I, they said, what's the one thing that grabs you? And I said, and I had time to think. And I paused and I couldn't, I couldn't honestly answer that in a way that they had expected me to answer. I said, guys, you know the one thing that really grips me more than anything else is Jesus. I didn't say that to be super spiritual. It was just the real thing. I mean, it's just Jesus. And in this day of postmodern Christianity, as Christendom here in the United States is on its way out, not Christianity, but Christendom, Jesus has become a footnote. He's become a utilitarian name that we will use to achieve victories and gain uh, uh, material things. And we've, we've, we've used him as a, as a, as a, a name to benefit and improve our lives. But ladies and gentlemen, 
He's much, much, much more than that. I'm older now than I was in Ecuador, and I hope I'm a little bit wiser. In my life, it's had its share of its vain ambitions, and some of them were noble and some of them were not. But as I'm 67 years old now, I, I look and I see where life is headed, and I'm, I'm excited, I'm thrilled. But as I see all the complication of life, and it's complication of life, it seems to be uh, uh, augmented here in the United States. Everything is so complicated. I got my daddy, he's 90 years old, I got him a new razor. And it was too complicated for him. Because we've made things complicated. But I'm learning that life really is much simpler than we make it out to be. It's really not a complicated thing. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Life in a nutshell. Life has been, for me, reduced to basically two things. Receiving and giving. In John 1.34, John the Baptist put it like this. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now here is John the Baptist, a man esteemed, the last Old Testament prophet, the one crying in the wilderness telling that there's one coming, the man who multitudes emptied their villages to come out to the river to hear him preach, a man who pricked curiosity and all of that, and his life has come down to this moment when he's asked, and he answers with two things. He says, I have seen and testified. And for me, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, life in a nutshell. Two things. It's not complicated. Seeing and testifying. Seeing and testifying. John said this, he said, I have seen. What does that mean? This is, this, this is the intake. This is, This is the intake, the receiving that I mentioned. This is the observance. But it's it's more than that. It's he's talking about participation with what he saw, the experience, the continued deepening, broadening cooperation between what I see and what I'm becoming. This seeing when he said, I see. And he had seen the Lamb of God. I mean, he's there. He's, he's in the river. The Lamb of God comes. And God gives him revelation. What John sees is not a wet man standing knee high in the river. He sees something beyond that. He has, as it were, a collision between humanity and divinity right there in knee high water. It's a, it's what we would say in Spanish, la gran choque, the great collision between humanity and divinity. And what John saw in Jesus was not 
what he did, but what he was. You know, I've come to the conclusion that we often trust Jesus for what he did. Today, in, the, in, in 2020, people follow Jesus because of the promises and because of what he did. The miracles, the teachings, and all that he presented us while he walked in human form. But on that day in the river, there were no miracles. Listen to me. There were no healings. There was no teaching. There was just John who saw by revelation. And that revelation was bright and it was blinding. It was the light that would give evidence to who he was. And all this was seen by John without any works. You see, after 2,000 years, you and I have formed an opinion of Jesus based on what we've seen in Scripture, what we've been taught from the pulpits of North America, what we've heard in seminaries and so on. But John didn't have that. John was in knee-high water and he saw Jesus. And by revelation, he says, I saw him. I see him. This is how God always intended his son to be seen, by revelation. And I would force, I would, I would suggest to you that many people today follow him because of his benefits, his mercy, his kindness. That was the way it was with the contemporaries that walked with Jesus. The men and the women who who lived. I want you to put yourself as a contemporary to Jesus. Feel the sand in your sandals and and smell the pig manure as you walk through the streets and hear the chickens crow. Imagine, just for a moment, if you will, the the businessman or the priest or the politician or the philosopher, or even the average dad that lived in the time of Jesus, how would he have seen Jesus without 2,000 years of history to form our opinion? Yes, his works would give evident proof in time. But who he was to his contemporaries the works that he did wasn't enough to convince men like those that I mentioned. Why did I say that? Because when Jesus came, Jesus came abased. That is, a baby. I mean, you can't think of a crazier thing than for God to send his son and and dress it hidden in a baby thinking that a baby is going to change humanity. And yet he did that. Hiding in human DNA for 30 years. And then, on a day in a river, John the Baptist says twice, I didn't know him. 
He was his cousin, but he didn't know him as the Lamb of God. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. But then he says, but I saw him by revelation. It's the Jesus that you follow and you will follow in 2020, the Jesus that is formed by what he does or by who he is. I mean, you know, his contemporaries that walked around and, and saw him, the scripture is filled. They scorned him. They questioned him. They doubted him. I mean, his acts were acts of mystery. He spoke in parables. I mean, good grief. He never sought fame nor riches like somebody who was trying to get popular. He didn't display that savvy that you would look for in a messianic leader. As a matter of fact, he even scorned the system that everybody tried to dominate. And he didn't jockey for acceptance among the elite. There were no power struggles in Jesus. He just didn't fit the bill. He seemed to have no plan, no direction. And to the power brokers, he appeared delusional at times and speaking things that would twist their minds. They'd walk away scratching their head. These are the contemporaries that would see Jesus in the streets of Capernaum. He did amaze people with miracles. He did heal the sick. He gave sight to the blind, but that was mostly among the marginalized and the poor, those who had nothing to contribute to society, while the aristocrat, aristocrat, aristocrats, 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 there you go, they wouldn't have anything to do with him. They kept their distance. And then this man who walks with a simple robe, couple of guys around him, having no business plan, no direction. No, I mean, where is he headed? Then he, he starts making claims, inviting people to drop everything and follow him. Now, put yourself as a contemporary with him. We look at it differently. But put yourself on the streets listening to this man. And he comes up to the men, to these businessmen and these priests. Forsake everything and follow me. Follow you where? You don't even know where you're going. He didn't even seem to know himself. Where he was going. And what would you sign up for if you followed him? Endless poverty? And then he makes this astonishing admission. And he declares himself one with the Father. God himself. Was he mad? Was he mad? Again, I want to invite you to think with me as a contemporary with Jesus. Somebody who lived in the village. Maybe knew him as a young man working in his father's carpentry shop. How he must have appeared to the majority of the people. And I would suggest that if Jesus walked among us today... In his abasement, as he did then, we would probably have reacted the same way. But John saw. 
John saw. He saw something that the others did not see. The others judged Jesus by what he did. John saw Jesus by who he was. Think of the businessman selling his fruit or whatever on the streets. He might ask, you know, where does this man get his money to survive? I've heard about this, Jesus. Does he, does he really have anything to offer? I mean, if I sell my business and follow him, does he have anything to offer? Would I get rich following this one who doesn't even have a job or own a company or more, much less property? Or think of the young 20 year old that's on the verge of going to college. A contemporary looking at Jesus, he might say, you know, my dad told me I shouldn't consider this man's claims too much. That I should go to college and get a good job. And then depending on how things turn out, we'll, I'll consider his claims in the future. Wise counsel from dad. The elite, they would sit back and they would watch Jesus. And most were unamused because they saw him mostly as a religious huckster. A one-man carnival. The contemporary politicians who lived under the grasp of Rome, they, they weren't too concerned about Jesus. They didn't see him too much as a threat. More of a passing fancy. They see him as someone who does have a following, a small following. But if he were ever to make his move to become Messiah over over Israel, I doubt he'd have gotten the votes. So the politician says, I'll just sit back and watch. After Rome, after all, Rome wouldn't let anything jeopardize this little lonely outpost here in Jerusalem. And if Jesus ever tried, I doubt he'd get a sufficient voting block to be put in office. The contemporaries, the philosopher, look at, listen to the philosopher. He, he looks at Jesus and he says, you know, I listened to this guy and his, his wisdom silenced the suits. Someone came and we thought if we could just trip him up in his words, then people would see through the charade. But he's far too clever for us and far too clever for the lawyers. People form their opinions based on what Jesus did, how he appeared. But John didn't see that. John saw Jesus for who he was. By revelation. You can go on with the priesthood. Oh, these guys, they were offended. They seem to be more trouble than the politicians. I mean, the questions I can imagine that the contemporary priest would have asked about Jesus. Where, where did he train? Show me his degrees. He's just an unsanctioned Galilean itinerant preacher. But he's pretty rude with us. I mean, he's embarrassed us openly, publicly, calling us names like whitewashed tombs, 
blind guides. Our reputations are stained. What are the people going to think about us? People formed their opinions by what they observed in Jesus. But John did not. John saw Jesus by revelation. But it would soon come to an end. And he would become too much for the system. An existential threat to the welfare of Jerusalem. He had to go. And so the verdict was they would kill the baby. So they killed the inviter, the one who had nothing to offer. There was no money. There was no no land. There was no nationality. He just said, forsake everything and follow me. The inviter, the funny, unserious inviter. But they killed him. I'm sure that the ones who killed him thought once he's dead, everything will get back to normal. And these people will find out that they've been following a charade. But ladies and gentlemen, three days later, he rose from the dead and nothing has been normal since then. Praise the Lord. Nothing. They killed him. They silenced the inviter. Everyone who had an opinion of him, who shouted Hosanna one day, the next day they said crucify him. Why did they do that? Because they didn't see him for who he was. They saw him for what he did. Are you getting what I'm saying today? And today, Western Christianity is forming a Jesus that has become utilitarian. It can meet our needs, pay our bills, heal our bodies. He is openly in love with you and he gives you his very best, but he's much more than that. He does not exist just for me and my needs. Behold, John said, behold the Lamb of God. Whoa, a baby grown up symbolized as a lamb. Oh, we relish the idea that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you know that that's only used one time in the Bible? All the other times, Jesus is referred to as an innocent lamb. John saw him. Everybody else had an opinion based on him, but what they based it on was his abasement. God, hidden in flesh. But John said, I have seen. Before the opinions of men were formed, that day in the River Jordan, John said, I saw. Before the miracles, before the raising of the dead, before the teaching, John saw. I want to ask you, do you see? Have you seen him for what he did? Like his contemporaries Or do you see him for who he is? Behold, ladies and gentlemen, the Lamb of God. But John said, I have seen him. But I want to carry it a couple steps further. I see him today. Not only did John see him, 
But John Whitener has seen him. I've seen him. I see him now. I see him today in the midst of CNN, Fox News, and all of the shenanigans that are going on in our country. I see him above, above crowns and politics. I see him above disease, above war, above all of the stuff that's going on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one who rose from the dead and is King of kings and Lord of lords. I see him, listen to me, above the noise of humanity. And humanity is noisy. It clamors. And one section utilizes Jesus by how they perceive him. And another section uses him over here. And he's become a puppet to be used by political factions and sociological demographics. He's not a puppet, ladies and gentlemen. I see him today as who he is. The abased Savior no longer is. Now he reigns as supreme Lord. He rules and he reigns over all principalities and powers. He rules and reigns over all governments and presidents and prime ministers. He rules and reigns over every power of darkness. He rules and reigns over Mexico and over the United States. And ladies and gentlemen, whether you accept this or not, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. What he was that day when John saw him by revelation, abased Lowly, rejected, scorned, beaten, and assassinated. He is no longer. He's triumphant. Hallelujah. Head over all things. And you better get your house in order because one day he's going to come back. John the Baptist said, I have seen. I want to ask you, have you seen? Now I'm not talking about have you studied? Have you learned? I'm saying, have your eyes, your spiritual eyes, seen who this man is? And I say, as a brother, I see. I see. And my eyes blow me away. As I get older, everything else fades in his glory. Everything else becomes less important, less urgent. But John the Baptist said, I have seen. I say, I see. But I would like to end by saying, we shall see. Those spiritual cataracts, That translucent fog that floats over my spiritual eyes that sometimes prevents me from seeing, being blinded will forever be removed. My eyesight or my understanding in that day will be complete and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I've looked high and I've looked low and I've never seen anything that was worth my pursuit any more glorious 
than Jesus of Nazareth. So this morning I want to ask you guys something. And just be honest with yourself. Do you see Jesus for what he has done or for who he is? Let me tell you something. If you see Jesus and you form your opinion based on what he has done, you will be no different than the contemporaries that did the same thing. But God never meant for his son to be determined by his by his actions, be seen by his actions, but to be seen by revelation. And when you see Jesus by revelation, then all of those actions verify what the Holy Spirit has shown you in your heart. I know people that see miracles and, 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 and they, they, they acknowledge the miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, but they do not see him in the glory that he is. Are you with me this morning? If I see Jesus only for what he did, listen to me, if I see Jesus for only what he did, he would be nothing more than a mere man. Because noble men do mighty and extraordinary works. But Jesus is no mere man. Please pay attention to this. If I need proof to demonstrate who he was, then I have not seen him for who he is. You know people, and they may be among us, that bargained with God. And the words that Judy said earlier, you think that God is indifferent. That he's not doing anything. So you bargain with him. And if he doesn't respond to your beck and call, you're out of here. But John saw something that is given to all of us. The revelation of the Holy Spirit. But John just didn't see I told you at the beginning, life for me has been reduced down to two things. Very simple. Receiving, giving. Seeing and testifying. I've seen and testified. It brings us to the second part. John saw something that couldn't keep his mouth shut. It begins by seeing. Then it's followed by proclaiming. The mouth that utters what the eyes have seen. The mouth is unable to contain what the eyes have seen. The words come and they come and they come. When you see the the gloriousness of him, how can you be silent? The words come in abundance trying to describe the impossible. But they do come and they must be uttered. For by utterance, the eyes become more clear. When I declare that, I see more and more and more. But, listen to me, the utterance that does not come by revelation of what you've seen is nothing more than hearsay. 
It's an echo. It's like a parrot that has repeated what it's learned. But John said, I saw. I saw. And now I testify. And I believe that in these last days, personally, I believe there's a great contrast between Christendom and Christianity. Christianity is what we describe as the kingdom of God. Christendom is all the paraphernalia that men have used to dress up Christianity. And Christendom is the thing by which the world interprets Christianity. It's all the government. It's all the, 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 the adornments. It's all the, you know, the vestments. It's all the liturgy. It's all the stuff, the government that, that, that comes around Christianity. But it's not the Christianity. It's the husk with the life inside. And I want to suggest to you that here in the United States, the husk is dying. Listen to me. It is dying. And furthermore, it must die. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It is not of this world. And he said, furthermore, if a seed does not fall into the ground and die, it will abide alone. It must die. So Christendom is going to be on its way out. And it will be voted out. It will be scorned out, it will be ridiculed out, but the body of Christ is going to emerge brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter than it ever has. And those people who stand firm are going to be the ones, listen to me, who have seen and they will utter They will utter. They will speak. And their words will have to be listened to. They will not be speaking political slogans. They will no longer be accepted as a voting block. They will be seen as a people who are different. People who are motivated by something their spiritual eyes have seen. That, my ladies, my my friends, is the body of Christ. Well, John said, I've testified. 1 John 1, 3, the other John, the Apostle John, said this, that that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. So, in our modern day living where everything is so tight and complicated and our lives are monitored by this little thing we have in our hands all the time. Life is reduced to just, for me, two simple things. Seeing and telling. With that, John ends his chapter losing his head. We see and we hear. In all the areas of life, your ambitions, your failures, your successes, your worry, your families, your friends, your ministry, but most of all in your purpose, all has been wonderfully reduced to two things. 
seeing, and proclaiming. So I encourage you. I encourage you. We were talking about being desperate. I don't know if I would use the word desperate, but I would probably say being wonderfully attracted to his beauty. I don't want to be pushed to Jesus. I really don't want to have a heart that's so hardened that my circumstances push me to the most beautiful thing that my heart could ever imagine. Why can I not be attracted? Why can I not be drawn? And that day in the river, John sees his cousin. And he says, I didn't, I didn't know him before. But now I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And for 2020 and on, I really believe personally That the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. In his son. In his son. And you're going to have to come to grips with that. All the things that you've depended on your life and based your life on. And these crutches that you've built your life on. They're going to be tested. And I would suggest that the day will come. When the only thing that will sustain you is that revelation of the Lamb of God. And I'm going to ask if you would stand up at this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I hope that you'll leave here seeing him, not just seeing what he does, but seeing him for who he is. I pray that the lordship of of Jesus would just permeate your soul, that you just get so happy, smile, and say, man, I know him. I know him. (laughs) I know him. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And um, so so that's a, a joy that we have. If you would open your hands to receive from the Lord. Father God, you're the one who commanded blessing to be spoken over your people, that your name may be placed on them, and you in turn would do the blessing. And so I say to each one of you, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.